Well, it's a real privilege to be speaking tonight because it's been such an amazing day and it's lovely to have the opportunity to speak tonight. Some of you may have been here earlier in the day and been involved in some of the events that went on in this church as we came together to mark the Armistice Centenary and to remember those who died and whose lives were marked forever by two world wars. But we also celebrated peace and the triumph of goodness in humanity in the face of conflict. And I just want to say, I love this church. It sounds very echoey. Is it very echoey? It's all right. I love this church. I love, and together with the other churches of Western, how you came together and organized this amazing day. You choreographed and catered the most amazing event. And when I came into this church at lunchtime and I looked into this building, it was like having a vision of what the church is going to be. It was packed. It was packed to busting. Not just with regular churchgoers, but with community. And it was a wonderful sight. And everybody had come together to worship God and to celebrate and also to grieve. So a special day, and how timely that in this series of evening talks we're looking at the armour of God and how we can stand our ground in the battles that we face today. And week by week we've been looking at separate parts of the armour and going through this passage verse by verse and giving it the attention it deserves because it is such an important passage of scripture. And tonight we're looking particularly at the shield of faith and how that shield will enable us to stand our ground. And there's only one reason that we would need armour, and that's because we're expecting to go into some sort of battle. And that presupposes that we have an enemy. And today of all days, how could we doubt that we are in a battle between good and evil when we remember the unspeakable horror of two world wars? I heard a statistic the other night that in the Great War alone 19 million it's estimated that 19 million servicemen and civilians were killed it's almost incomprehensible and yet we also celebrated today we celebrated goodness and courage and sacrifice and hope and peace and today the battleground may be different and the weapons have certainly changed but it's the same old enemy And I am going to talk about the shield of faith, but first I'd like to give a little bit of context to that one verse by looking at verses that immediately precede it and so that we can better understand why we even need to put on this armour and take up this shield. So I'm looking at verses 11 to 13 now. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And it's pretty clear from that that we have an enemy in the spiritual realm. Paul doesn't mince his words, and we shouldn't either. We need to be able to acknowledge that there's opposition out there. Call it the devil, Satan, a force of evil, whatever you will. Because if we don't acknowledge that we have an enemy, then there's no need for armour. And this passage is just a bit of picturesque Christian jargon. 
And I'm afraid we can be, we can be a little bit squeamish when it comes to talking about the devil. But I don't believe that we can pick and choose the bits of scripture that we like and ignore the bits that make us uncomfortable. In the preface of his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And I don't want to dwell on darkness, but this passage spells out explicitly why we need the armour of God. And sometimes we need to be reminded of where our battleground is so that we can discern the enemy's tactics without giving him any credit or any unhealthy attention. We need to know who our enemy is and how he operates. Otherwise, how can we resist him? So point number one, know your enemy. And the book of Ephesians is a great read. The whole book is full of wisdom and instructions on how we should live out our faith. The first half spells out our relationship with God in Christ and the second half deals with our relationships with one another in the context of our faith. And I'd like to look a little bit now at the crucial area of knowing our standing in Christ. It's one of the things, one of the first things that Judith drew out when she spoke first in this series a while ago. She spoke about truth and she described the belt of truth as being the truth of who we are in Jesus. And Mark went on to say in his talk about truth, that truth came in person, and his name was Jesus. And the first words of this passage say this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. All our strength is in him. I've talked a little bit about the enemy, but we know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And understanding our status and standing in Christ and what he has done for us is absolutely crucial if we're going to be effective, take up our shield and take our stand. So who am I in Christ? Well, that's a whole sermon in itself, but here are a few of my favorite I ams. And this is true for all of you. I am a child of God. I am a new creation, no longer in condemnation. I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. I am alive with Christ. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I have the mind of Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am redeemed. This is crucial. Because how we understand our status in Christ will also determine how we position ourselves for battle. So point number two, know who you are in Christ. With an understanding of our status comes an understanding of authority. And helpfully, the image that Paul gave us in this passage was one of a Roman soldier. And a soldier would have been under authority. So remember that story in the Gospels? When the centurion came to Jesus and asked him to come out and heal his servant who was paralyzed and dying. And he said, it's not necessary for you to come to my house. Just say the word and he will be healed. For I am a man under authority. 
This is amazing because he recognized the authority of Jesus to heal, even at a distance, which is precisely what he did. And it says that Jesus was amazed. And in another one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus was astonished. And I mean, that really made me prick my ears up. That Jesus was amazed. And it was because this man, who was an outsider, who was a a member of an occupying force, he got it. He recognized and understood the authority of Jesus and he trusted him and he put his faith in him. Do we? And do we believe that as children of the living God and co-heirs with Christ, we too have great authority? Because if we can get hold of these truths, we will be ready to take up the shield, knowing why we do it and in whose strength we're doing it. And Mark also pointed out in his talk about truth that we should be careful not to over-spiritualize the armor of God and we should get practical about it. And I know what he means because I think there's a risk of believing that if we recite this list of armor, then we're going to believe that we're covered. But it's not so. Why this passage is really so helpful is because it reminds us of the areas in our lives and ministry where we really need to be on guard. Just by saying, I take up my shield of faith without fully comprehending the rights and responsibilities that that entails won't keep us safe and it won't enable us to be effective. So we've looked a little bit at the importance of our identity in Christ and we sang a wonderful song earlier that began with the line, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And there you have it. Our shield for the battle is our faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, in order that despite messing things up over and over again, we could come again, redeemed and renewed into eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that is the foundation of our faith. That is the truth that sets us free and utterly confounds the enemy. Our strength and hope cannot lie in anything that we can achieve in our human strength, but in what Jesus has done on the cross. Taking up our shield means putting our faith in him and walking that faith out every day. And look again at this passage. We're not told to rush out like superheroes. We're asked to just stand, to stand our ground, ground that has been taken for us by Jesus, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Psalm 91, wonderful psalm, says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it goes on. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Which brings me to my third point. It's very Anglican, but there are four, so I'm not that Anglican tonight. Abiding in him. So it's quite an old-fashioned term, but it's, it's really important. Because if we abide in him, then he will keep us safe. And we're looking at each piece of armour individually, but of course we need to wear it all. And as Claire wonderfully pointed out in her talk about the breastplate of righteousness, there are far too many streakers running around out there. 
And there's not much point in putting on the helmet if we neglect the breastplate and forget the sword. But setting aside this this wonderful imagery, what does this really mean? What does it mean to abide in him? Well, with rights come with responsibilities. And we have to play our part in this. We have to take up, put on, stand firm. But how do we do it? Simple answer. Obedience. That doesn't feel like a very contemporary notion, but it is vital. If we abide in him, if we dwell in him, and if we obey his commands, we will be able to stand our ground. But if we step outside his covenant protection, if we go our own way, if we decide we know better than him, we will be vulnerable. How so? Well, the enemy isn't called the father of lies for nothing. He's a great deceiver. But he's not creative, he's a creature. He can only operate by counterfeiting the truth, by lying and deceiving. And he's a legalist. He can only operate where he has a legal right to do so. In other words, when we knowingly or unknowingly give him permission to do so. And that will happen if we step outside God's covenant. So if we're struggling in some area and we can't seem to make any progress... We we may need to take a good look at our lives. Is every part of our life submitted to God? Maybe we need to look at areas when we know that we're weak or vulnerable. Who am I spending time with? What am I looking at? What am I reading? Who am I listening to? It's not terribly effective trying to hold up the shield if in another area of our life our guard is down. Claire spoke a couple of weeks ago about the importance of living righteously. And we're never going to be perfect, but we need to be on our guard, and staying in fellowship is a fantastic safeguard. It's so good to be in community. It's so good to be part of a fellowship. It's so good to come to church regularly and stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that when we're not feeling strong, they can be strong for us. It is good to come and worship God. And the enemy is cunning. He knows our weaknesses. And as Mark, I keep quoting you tonight, you must be quite good. As Mark pointed out, we live in a culture where lies are normal and where we're bombarded with a relentless onslaught of fake information of impossible demands masquerading as desirable and achievable. So let's have a a brief look at some of those fiery darts or flaming arrows mentioned in verse 16 and some strategies to extinguish them. And I'm speaking from experience when I say that feelings and emotions are an area where it's all too easy to lose ground. Why is it that one day we can wake up feeling full of faith and hope and optimism and the next day for no obvious reason feeling low and dejected? Well, the honest answer is, I don't really know, but this I do know, that no matter how I'm feeling, God doesn't change. God's truth doesn't change. Feelings come and go and emotions can be treacherous. And it's an, it's, a, it's an area where the enemy can have a field day if we let him. And I'm not making light of this. I know how powerful emotions can be. I have seen it at work in my own family and someone very dear to me 
is walking this walk, this battle of the mind, right now. And Gaynor spoke powerfully and movingly about this subject last week. And these are times when more than ever we need to take up that shield. When the enemy tells me that I'm worthless, my shield will take that blow. When the enemy lies about my family and friends, I will take up my shield and it will extinguish that fiery dart. My God will extinguish that fiery dart. When the enemy tries to come at me by harming those that I love, I will stand in faith. And when the enemy tries to tempt me down a path that will lead to deception and harm, I will take up my shield and stand firm. And here's another great big fat lie of the enemy. He'll try and convince you that you're weak in faith, that you're not much of a Christian really. Who are you to go out and tell people about Christ? Who are you to go and talk about your faith? Because, of course, he wants the church to be weak, ineffective and discouraged. And above all, and by any means at his disposal, he will seek to sow doubt and division and to hamper the people of God the body of Christ, from our mission. So we need discernment at every turn so that when we come up against difficult and challenging situations, we can see with our spiritual eyes beyond the situation or the person in front of us. And we may well need to ask for endless supplies of love and grace and wisdom to deal with that person or that situation. So try coming in the opposite spirit to the one that's coming against you. If someone is unpleasant or critical, try coming with kindness and generosity because it confounds and disarms the enemy every time. We need to take care of our physical selves as well. Here's a bit of very practical and motherly advice. Something I've learned over the years. Some of the times when I feel at my lowest and most vulnerable It's quite likely because I'm either unwell or just really tired. And I may not have been sleeping, for instance. And at times like that, it's not wise to make important decisions or say too much. It's our responsibility to look after ourselves. My body, your bodies, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to look after them. Ask for help. Meg said something really important when she talked about standing your ground a few weeks ago. She reminded us that God has placed us in family. And that when times are tough, and there will come tough times, we need to ask for help. Speak to people you trust. Make yourself accountable to them. Don't let pride isolate you. The enemy loves to see you isolated because then it's easier for him to pick you off. How many times have you guys stood with me? I'm looking out there now. How many times have you stood with me and prayed with me in difficult times? And how many times have I stood with you? We need one another. And sometimes when we're holding our shield and standing our ground, we need someone to watch our backs. One of my favorite prayers when I'm low and I don't know what to pray. Thank you, Father, that you love me. Because that's the truth. Oh, Mark, I'm going to quote you again. (laughs) Mark says some wise things, so listen to him. He said, thanksgiving changes the spiritual atmosphere, and so it does. If we're thanking God and praising God, the enemy will have to flee. 
Whatever I'm feeling and whatever is coming against me, I can give thanks. And humility is one of our greatest weapons. If we're walking in humility, we can't be humiliated. That's worth thinking about. If we exercise humility, we cannot be humiliated. And character, not force, will win the battle. And love. Love wins every time. Love for God. Love for ourselves, that's important too. And love for one another. So, point four. Faith needs exercising. How do we do that? We do it by speaking it out. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What we say is powerful. Our words have power to bless and to curse. I know some of my dear friends think that I go on a bit about this, but it really, really matters what we say about ourselves. God thinks I'm wonderful. And that might sound, that's true. God thinks I'm wonderful. And he thinks you're wonderful. And he thinks you're wonderful. He thinks every one of us is wonderful because he made us and he designed us to be that way. So if I say of myself, I'm rubbish. I'll never get past this. I'm doomed to failure. It runs in the family. No one cares about me. Then I'm rejecting God's view of me and I'm agreeing with the enemy. So be very careful how you speak about yourself and about other people and about situations, no matter how tough and challenging they may seem. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So with our mouths, let's proclaim his faithfulness and speak into life that which is not yet as if it were. Call it a declaration of faith. Let's proclaim God's word as a shield and as our strength. And earlier we sang that wonderful song, Waiting Here for You, and I love that song. But the first line just niggles me a little bit because it says, if faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. But I would say, if you want the mountains to move, then command them to move. Command them to move. We're not talking about literal mountains. We're talking about areas of your life and spheres of influence over which you have control if you choose to exercise it. So exercise your faith. Speak it out. Make those declarations of faith. And this may sound like a tall order, and it is, but the good news is we're not alone in this. Final point, hugely important, is the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Jesus promised that he wouldn't leave us as orphans, that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our counsellor, to lead us into all truth. So let's ask to be filled every day. Romans 8 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And faith is a gift of the Spirit, as listed in 1 Corinthians 12. So ask for it. Ask for an increase of the gift of faith in you. Eagerly desire it and ask for it. And we have the Word of God, against which we can test everything. And I'm not going to say any more about that, although I'd love to, because I'll be straying into somebody else's talk. (laughs) In fact, I've said enough. But in summary... 
and in no particular order, as they would say on Strictly. Know your enemy and recognize the battlefield. Know your status and authority in Jesus Christ. Abide in him and walk in obedience, humility, and with thanksgiving. Exercise your faith and proclaim God's word. Ask to be filled every day with the Holy Spirit and with faith. And finally, never give up. Never give up. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been a member of this church for 30 years. For 30 years, I've been praying for my husband. (laughs) And I've got Rob's permission to talk about this, so that's okay. For 30 years, I've been praying for my husband. And this autumn, he started on the Alpha course. And yesterday, he went on the away day. Now, I don't presume to tell you what's going on between my husband and God, because it's none of my business. It's God's business and it's Rob's business, but never, never give up. I believe in a loving God, a God who didn't leave us as orphans, a God who's provided us with the armor and the weapons to walk this walk. And we don't just do it for ourselves. We do it in response to a loving God who's done it all for us. But we also do it for all those people out there who don't yet know it. If God's kingdom is to advance in your homes and in your families and in this community and in this nation, then we need to take a stand. Just before I came tonight, um, I was praying, and I really believe that God gave me this, this scripture for tonight. So I'm going to pray this blessing over you because I believe it's for us tonight. It's from Ephesians again, Ephesians 3 verse 16. I pray that God, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Amen.